<clears throat> Thank you, ladies. On the lighter side, <clears throat> in relation to mothers, <clears throat> just a couple things about moms. My mother taught me in about anticipation. Just wait until your father gets home. My mother taught me to meet a challenge. What are you thinking? Answer me when I talk to you. Don't talk back to me. My mother taught me logic. If you fall out of that swing and break your neck, you're not going to the store with me. My mother taught me about hypocrisy. If I told you once, I've told you a million times. Don't exaggerate. <clears throat> you spend a half hour searching for your sunglasses only to have your teenage, teenagers say, Mom, why don't you wear the ones you pushed up on your head? Little Johnny had finished his summer vacation and gone back to school. Two days later, his teacher phoned his mother to tell him that he was misbehaving. Wait a minute, she said. I had Johnny with me for three months, and I never called you once when he misbehaved. <clears throat> the Sunday school teacher asked, Now, Johnny, tell me frankly, do you say your prayers before eating? No, sir, little Johnny replied. I don't have to. My mom's a good cook. <clears throat> Mothers are basically part of a scientific experiment to prove that sleep is not crucial part of human life. <clears throat> and in relation to that, <clears throat> when we lived in Chattanooga, we had a you know, one-bedroom apartment. Danny came along, <clears throat> and he slept about three feet <clears throat> from our bed for a period of time. And he could cry and whine and everything else during the night. Ruthann could get out of bed and quiet him down. I never heard a sound. Finally, when the fourth, when Chris came along, then, you know, I guess I was changing or something. But would get awake for him. But I'm not sure I get out of bed very often. <clears throat> In way of announcements, you can read your bulletin. The only one that I realize somehow get missed is that the teens will be meeting Wednesday night, even though it doesn't appear in the bulletin. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the grace you've extended to us. Thank you for your word. <clears throat> thank you for Christ. And as we interact, interact with a portion of Mark this morning, I want to be open to hearing, to doing, to applying for your glory. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. I'm posing a question, and I am looking for a response. Can a school which has no test and no projects be effective? Can a school which has no test and no projects, no accountability be effective? What do you think? <clears throat> Any response? Can a school which has no tests, no projects, no accountability be effective? Any response? No? <clears throat> Why not? Human nature is testing 
Accountability, reporting a positive thing or a negative thing. You know, if you have a test in school, you have to report to your boss, you're accountable to mom and dad. Is that a positive or a negative thing? What do you think? Positive. But we're tempted to think the other way because, oh no, I got a test coming up. You know, I'm going to have to give an account and so on. As we look at some scripture today from Mark chapter 6, I want to uh, just take a moment to review what is happening. In the flow of Mark chapter 6, we find that in Mark 6, thir- Mark 6, 6 through 13, we have the 12 being sent out by Jesus. And they're sent out without him. They go out on their own. Then we find that the death of John the Baptist is taking place. And then in Mark 6, 30 through 44, we find the account of their reporting and the account of the feeding of the 5,000. And again, we mentioned last week, and I'll comment more, there's a reason why, I think, as Mark writes, why he writes about the 12 being sent out, then the death of John the Baptist, and then the reporting by the 12, and the feeding of the 5,000. But let's turn to Mark chapter 6, begin reading with Mark 6 and the middle of verse 6, as Jesus sends out the 12. Mark 6, beginning with verse 6. Then Jesus went out, or went around teaching from village to village. Calling the 12 to him, he sent sent them out two by two and gave them authority over evil spirits. These were his instructions. Take nothing for the journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. They went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Just want you to note a couple things in the passage that the disciples have been with Jesus by this point over a year. He calls them and he sends them out two by two and in sending them out he gives them authority. The authority that he has he apparently gives to the twelve. The instructions are quite simple basically You may take a staff, no bread, no bag, no money. Your purses wear sandals, but not an extra tunic. And then told them what to do if they were not welcomed. So what happened? They went out. They were obedient. They preached that people should repent, and people responded. Now, I want you to think about some applications to this as it relates to life. They had been with Jesus to merely be with someone is unwise and not God's design. They move to action. You know, they were doing, they were living, they were ministering 24-7. 
to merely learn and to be taught is worthless and dangerous. If the twelve had spent time with Jesus and only learned, they were grasping things, they did not live it out, they did not have opportunity to use what they had learned and so on, basically is worthless and in danger. Why do I say it's dangerous? Because James says, be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So to learn and not live it and not apply it, not minister in day-by-day living can be dangerous. So he taught the disciples. And what does he do? He sends them out with an intent to minister. He did not go with them. They went out and they ministered. Now, let's ponder that in relation to some situations in daily life. Parenting. Parents are to teach their children, clearly given in Scripture. Parents are to teach. They're to train. They're to take Scripture and explain how Scripture fits in their life. They're to teach about finances. They're to teach about marriage. They're to teach how to respond to authority and so on. But there comes a point where parents need to step back and send their children out and let them live. So a parent may teach a child how to respond in a school setting, in a classroom setting, how to respond to authority. And then they go to school. That's letting them go. Hopefully the children will apply. As we'll get to later this morning, if time permits, then a reporting. How did school go today? Did you listen to the teacher? And so on. I remember dad occasionally, mom occasionally asking, you know, me about school. You know, how I got along with kids, how I related to teachers, and if I studied, and so on. Taught, sent, reporting. Dad, quite often in the years of training us, <clears throat> would teach, show, and then he would say, now it's your turn, you do it. Basically what Jesus is doing. How about grandparenting? Teaching your grandchildren, <clears throat> but then also entrusting them to apply. How about in a job setting, you're the owner of a business. You teach the employee how to work. You teach them how to do a job. You work with them. You show them. You do things together. And then you say, do it yourself. Jesus spent time with the 12, and then he sent them out. How about developing church leaders through current leaders? A Sunday school teacher spending time with a younger person who is a potential Sunday school teacher, spending time, the younger person being with them as they teach, share, here's how you teach, here's how you study. And then letting the younger person teach somewhere along the line. And then eventually just stepping back and saying, have a great time teaching, but I'm going to be asking you how it's going and reporting. That seems to be the design of Jesus. How about doing the same thing with teens? 
No, teens are taught. Teens learn. But then let them do. Remember, teaching how to live and how to respond in light of the overflow of the Gospel of Mark is not limited to what we call spiritual things. It's referring to all of life. How about the training of pastors? Basically, the way Christianity trains pastors now is someone is thinking the Lord is leading them into ministry. Let's ship them off to Bible college, and then we ship them to seminary. Would we consider saying, uh, for the next four or five years, you're going to hang around with another pastor? You're going to do what he does. You're going to study when he studies. He's going to give you opportunities to teach and preach and so on. And then in time, you get turned loose to shepherd. That's what Jesus did with the 12. I'm not saying it's wrong to go to college and seminary, but I think maybe we need to recognize that Being with someone and then being sent makes a difference. How about adoption or foster parenting? Some of you have adopted. Some of you have been foster parents. That's taking someone that has a need and letting them be with you as parents to learn how to live. Or how about just inviting people to live with you? Now, sometimes we talk about I hear this. I'm sure you hear it. You know, teenagers sometimes can be kind of rough. You know, they may get in trouble, and maybe some teenager is really in trouble and it's because they don't live with any parents. <clears throat> Do you ever consider inviting a teen into your home to learn how to live by just observing you so that they, in turn, can be a godly parent? That's the idea of with someone and then being sent. Jesus sent two by two. Seems to be God's design. Do we model this? And I haven't figured all this out. I'll let you figure it out. But parents, as a parent, how do you help your child to go into life not alone, but having the support of at least one other person? How about employers? The way they treat employees. No, not always letting an employee alone, but with someone for encouragement, for greater wisdom. How about church leaders? This is no criticism of anything, just an observation. Probably one of the hardest things for me was to become a pastor alone. I got through my Bible school, spent a little time working for my brother, and then you know, the church here called me as a pastor. I came. I was young. I was unexperienced. Now, remember, after I was here about a month, and Clark Pyatt called and said, uh, I have a person down here 
and the family would like you to have the funeral. Well, who is it? And they gave me a name, and I said, who's that? Well, someone that lived in the area years ago, they've lived out of the area for about 60 years now. The family has moved out of the area, but they have a gravesite in the area. Would you have the funeral? Yeah, I'll have the funeral. I hung up the phone, and I thought, Number one, I've never had a funeral before. I don't even know the person. I don't know anything about them. I don't know the family. I've never met the family. Why don't I just call Clark back and say someone else can do it? I did have the funeral. It was very difficult because I was alone. No one ever talked to me about what do you do at a funeral when you don't know anyone. And when you walk into the funeral home, that's when you meet the family. See, two by two would have been helpful there. There was an older pastor in this area who would occasionally stop in and just say, Dan, how's it going? I'm not sure I would have made it without his encouragement. Just think about leaders two by two. How about the Sunday to missionaries? Having interacted some with Ray and Sherry, Marie and Sherry are in Chile. They're ministering. They're struggling. And one of the reasons they're struggling is that word loneliness. They're in southern Chile, just the two of them. Now, they get up to the capital occasionally, but not real often, where there'll be some other missionaries. But just think about how we do things. Another application, when we give ministry to people or send them out, we should give authority, not mere responsibility. There must be the power to act, to fulfill, to make decisions. We must let go of control. Report back, yes, but not an attempt to control everything. Jesus sent out the 12, and they get into a difficult situation. They didn't get on the phone and call Jesus. figure it out. God had given them authority. He had given them what they needed. And I'm sure they ran into some situations. And I think as you read the flow of the Gospels, when they came back and reported to Jesus, they had some good things to say. But I think there would have been some difficult things to report also. My parents went to California for three weeks, taking my younger brother and sister along, and my older brother, my oldest brother was married, my next brother was working away from home. He said, Dan, you're in charge of the farm. Whatever needs to be done, needs to be done. Basically said, don't call me. You figure out what needs to be done. Some animal is sick, you figure out what needs to be done. He didn't call in the three weeks. You say, he must not have missed you. I think he was practicing what Jesus did. He left me learn. The farm was intact when he came back. Okay, Jesus sends out the twelve. 
they did ministry, they come back and they're going to report, but between the ministry, they're being sent out and the reporting is the account of John the Baptist being beheaded, which we commented on last week. And keep in mind that John was a forerunner of Jesus. He prepared the way for Jesus. John the Baptist was the one who died at the hands of what I call a bitter woman, Herodias. Jesus died at the hands of some angry people. What happened to John? Seems to be communicating what would happen to Jesus. What would happen to the 12? 11 of the 12 died an unnatural death. They were killed. And what may happen to believers at any point in time? I invite you to take your Bibles as Dylan comes to read for us. Mark chapter 6, 14 through 29. Thank you, Dylan. As you read that passage, again we see that it's kind of a gory passage. No, John is beheaded. What happened? His head comes back in a platter. You know what a platter is? No. Rather than having food on it, there's a head on it. And again, John's life is taken by the conniving of Herodias. But the beheading of John appears in the context of the twelve being sent out to minister, and before they report to Jesus, the account of John the Baptist and his beheading is recorded. And again, I think, as you look at the context, by design and for a purpose. And that would be, expect people to be angry and to respond. Maybe not respond well when confronted by sin. Consider Herodias. We know that Herod had been confronted by John the Baptist. Herodias is nursing a grudge because Herodias had been the wife of Philip. And Herod, however the circumstances were, took Herodias and she became his wife. So when the Lord is truly working in a person, there will be either godly sorrow and repentance or there might be difficulty. Now think about that in the life of John. John confronted Herod, he lost his life. Think about living in the world in which we live and in the 12 as they ministered that they faced persecution and 11 out of the 12 died on natural deaths. That we should not be surprised in our day-by-day living if we experience difficulty, if we experience persecution. It may not always come and it may not come with death. Some of you 
believe very firmly that when you work on the job, you're to work hard as unto the Lord. And you do that. But you may be made fun of and told, don't work so hard because you make me look bad. That is a form of persecution. You may believe very firmly in God's design for marriage. And in just explaining your position sometimes, someone may take issue with that and poke fun at you because they may have a different view of what is involved in marriage. Some of you, if you stand for the Lord, could potentially lose your job. If you stood for the Lord. Second Corinthians talks about the fact that the gospel of Christ is a smell of life to some and the smell of death to others. As we live out our faith, as we share the gospel of Christ, if you run into some hardship, don't be surprised. That should be the expectation in light of the flow of Mark 6. Obedience to Christ may bring hardships and even death. We tell people God has a wonderful plan for their lives. Unless we consider hardship, persecution, and death wonderful, we better start being truthful and biblical with believers and non-believers. Walking with Christ can involve rejection, persecution, hardship. Expect it. Again, I think that's the reason for the structure in Mark. John the Baptist had no sacred cows. You say, what do you mean by sacred cow? He told it like it was. So he's talking to Herod. Herod, you shouldn't have your brother's wife. He was willing to die in order to be faithful to Christ. Are we today? A couple questions. I'm not looking for a response. Just some thought questions. Do we keep quiet about Jesus to keep our jobs? Do we jump churches over music? Relational difficulties rather than confronting selfish hearts. Do we think it is wrong for a lady to be a stripper, but do we confront and help men who look at pornography on the internet? You know, just, you know, where are we at? It's part of life. Uh, over the years, I don't remember how many years, there's an establishment down in West Nanticoke. I don't even remember the name of it. Was, you know, on Route 11, and over the years I've heard comments about, you know, that that place should be closed down, and at one time there were some people trying to organize to shut it down. Do we have an equal concern and a willingness to help men who struggle with pornography? You see where I'm coming from? We can criticize the one and maybe not helping the other. Are we willing to take what it involves to do that. Do we complain about how bad children and teens are, but do we train men to lead and to teach their families? 
oh, kids are really bad today. Well, I know some people older than I am that did some terrible things when they were younger. Well, you say, parents aren't responsible. Well, then latch on to a father or mother and teach them how to tr be a father or mother. Let's not knock the kids because kids are going to be kids. Let's help the parents to be parents. Now, let's not have sacred cows. We'll knock the kids. Let's talk to the parents. And by the way, I'm not saying anything about any teens here in case you're getting a complex. Okay. Do we claim to trust in Christ but borrow money? like all believers. I'm just asking, you know, oh, I trust in Jesus, he'll provide. But then we turn around and might borrow like all believers. Again, just a thought question. So go back to my original question. Can a school which has no test or projects or accountability be effective? You already responded, I don't think so, because Jesus even recognized, recognized there was a need for reporting. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. But we find their reporting didn't last very long because people are pressing upon them. So they're going to go to a quiet place, and when they get there, there's a crowd of at least 5,000 already there. And they don't really get to report a lot, and we'll comment more on that next Sunday. Testing, accountability, reporting is very positive. See it as positive. If you're a teenager, you're a child, and mom and dad hold you accountable and responsible, praise the Lord. Thank them. Run up to mom and dad today and put your arms around them and say, thanks for holding me accountable. I need it. The same thing is needed on the job. The same thing is needed for me as a man. There's some guys that will ask me some hard questions at times. I need that. You say, well, you're 61. You should have arrived. I still want to be accountable. I still want to report to someone. There's a guy already gave me a date for later in May. This is when I'm calling you, Dan. I know what he's going to ask. I value that. He does because I ask him to. It's just part of Jesus following his example of living like he did. Let's pray together.